All right, folks, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. We're going to take a pause from our normal study in Romans, and we're going to focus on Palm Sunday today. We're actually going to look at a passage we looked at last year, but uh, we're going to look at it again this year from a different perspective. And uh, it is a Palm Sunday uh, passage. It talks about Jesus entering in to Jerusalem and then when he leaves and something he says. And so we want to draw some things uh, out of this for you and I. Because what I want you to see is sometimes we need to be reminded because when it comes to God and his working in our lives, uh, I find that a lot of people really miss it. They really miss what God is doing or what God is about, or they maybe even miss seeing that God is doing anything. And so today, we're going to see him entering into Jerusalem, the triumphant entry, and there were some there who understood, uh, but there were others that maybe they were confused, but then outright rejected, but the reality is most of them didn't have any clue. They were just missing it. And Jesus has something to say to them later. Now, what has that got to do with you and I? Well, here's the reality. I think sometimes you and I can be oblivious. Oblivious to what, God, uh, George? Well, oblivious to God. We can be oblivious to what God is doing around us and through us. And so I've got a couple points I want to make here. So distracted by our own agendas, we miss what God is really doing. Sometimes you can be so distracted by what you are wanting and doing and perceiving that you miss what's going on around you. Ever been with somebody like that? They're, they're kind of off in a zone. And all they think about is what they're thinking about and they're missing completely what's going on around them. Well, this is true when it comes to the issue of God. You can be so focused on what you want and your agenda and what you perceive about life, that when God does show up and do something, you're totally lost to what he's doing. You can't even see it. In fact, maybe you've had somebody say to you, look, well, hey, did you see what God did? And you're like, what? What are you talking about? Well, right there in your midst, did you see how God worked that situation out? Really? Did he? It's because we're so distracted. Okay, so we're oblivious to what God is doing. Here's the second one. Our expectations of God determine our response to him. With the whole issue of being oblivious to him is what do you expect of him? If you have very little expectations of him, you're not going to see him. We're going to see that with the people who responded to Jesus coming in to Jerusalem. What their expectations determined how they responded to and, and saw him. So for instance, you're going to see people who totally rejected him, wanted his disciples to be quiet. Why? Because they had already determined he's not God's Messiah. He's a charlatan. And so that determined their response to him. You and I, we can talk about a lot of different things. And, and, and sometimes, I see it this way, usually it happens when there's a crisis in people's lives. You can tell where people are at when you say to them, I'll pray for you. Then notice the response afterwards. There's a lot of different responses. It's the one that is cynical that I often take note of. 
It's the one of the person who's going through the crisis and you say, I'll pray for you. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. That'll be okay. Yeah, maybe that'll help. Well, what does that tell you? They don't have any expectation of God doing anything, right? So that determines their response to him. They don't really have an expectation. You say, George, what does this all got to do with Palm Sunday? It has everything to do with Palm Sunday. Because on that Sunday, so many centuries ago, when Jesus mounted on a donkey and rode into town, and people were responding to this because they believed he was the Messiah, there were others who rejected. Even those who responded to them had different perspectives about why they were responding. And all of that would determine their reaction to them. What do you mean they had different responses? Folks, I want to tell you, when you get to the end of the week and the crowd hollers, crucify him, some of those same people, more than likely, were some of the people who were what? Welcoming him in. Why? Because he didn't fulfill their expectation. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at verses 35 to 44. And we're going to take note of their reactions, and then we're going to see Jesus' heart, okay? We're going to see, notice their reactions and Jesus' heart. So look with me at verse 35, chapter 19. Here's what Luke writes. Then they brought him to Jesus. They threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. As he went... Many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Wow. So we, we start off with excitement. He's here. But then as he's rolling into town on that donkey, he's crying. And he makes a pronouncement. What is going on here, George? What does this have to do with you and I? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look, first of all, at the reactions. I've got three reactions I want to point out here. And then we're going to look at Jesus' heart. And I think what we're going to do is, is we want to come to a place in the end to say, okay, how does that apply to you and I? How does that apply to you and I? Well, that's where we want to go. So let's, first of all, let's notice the reactions. 
So here's what happens. When you look at verses 35 to 40, you see people who are his disciples. They're shouting. They're excited. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and the glory in the highest. They're, you know, they're, as the donkey is riding along, they're setting their, their garments down and palm branches for the donkey to ride over. They're honoring the king. And while that's happening, some of the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders are crying out, hey, tell them to be quiet. You know, and, and Jesus says, no, they can't be quiet. If they, if they were quiet, the stones would cry out. The stones would rejoice because of this day. And, and so what we see here are three reactions, and I see that these are the same three reactions that we have to this day. These are the same three reactions that I see with people whenever I talk to them about Christ. They're the same three reactions that I see when we have it in, in a church. Here they are. Here's the first one. Some responded to Jesus with their preconceived ideas. Some respond to Jesus with their preconceived ideas. What do you mean? Well, put yourself in the picture, in the scene where these Jews are living in, in Judea at that time, uh, in what was Israel at that time. And here's what you have. You have a people who are oppressed. They, they have some sort of national identity, but the big looming force over them is the Romans. They're crying out to God for injustice to end. They're crying out for the Messiah to come. They want the Messiah to come to once again raise up their nation and create it into a big, greater nation again to bring back the kingdom of David. And so you have people who are eagerly looking for that. Now, within their society, you have different segments of people who, and we see that in any society, who are okay with the things the way they are. You have some religious folks that are focused on their religious lives, but they're okay with the way things are. You have folks who are supporting the Roman government. They're, they're okay with the things the way they are. But for the most part, people had, they were looking for the Messiah. So when you have that kind of mindset that's going on there in the group of people who were Israel at that time, then comes Jesus, who is teaching in a way that nobody's ever taught like before who is healing, feeding, raising the dead, casting out demons, and he's having an impact. And everybody, and we saw it in the Gospels, the earlier questions is, is this the Messiah? Is this the one that we're looking for? And so some of them have this expectation that he's the one who's going to deliver them. But here's the thing. Some of them, their only thought about God was is he's going to take away the Romans. Now, we're going to see later that why I believe that some of them who were welcoming him are the same ones who would cry, crucify him later is, is that when you get to the end of the week and he's there appearing before them, brutalized by the Romans, and they're asking for Barabbas... He didn't meet their expectations of a conquering Messiah. See, I find this to be true that people miss what's going on with God because they have preconceived ideas about what God's supposed to do and how he's supposed to minister in our lives and how he's supposed to respond to everything. 
But what you find throughout the Gospels is, is Jesus doesn't act according to the way we want him to act. For instance, do you remember when John the Baptist is in prison? He's hearing about all these great things that Jesus is doing. He sends a couple of his disciples with a question. Are you the one or do we look for another? And Jesus says to his disciples, go back and tell John what you see. And he quotes three different passages from Isaiah about blind being made to see, the lame being made to walk. But he leaves the part out about setting the prisoners free. And then he says the most interesting statement that you and I have to come to grips with. And that is, blessed is he who is not offended with me because of me. Sometimes God doesn't do it the way we want him to do it. Or how we want him to do it. Or what we think he should do. But see, this group, they responded with preconceived ideas. And the problem with coming to Jesus with your preconceived ideas, sometimes he doesn't act according to your preconceived ideas. That's reality. Here's the second group. Second group, some responded to Jesus out of genuine faith. Some of them responded to Jesus out of genuine faith. They saw the miracles. They, they were blessed as he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, they, all they saw was they wanted Jesus and they were in love with Christ. And there was a genuineness to it. And then it's not like, and it's the attitude that says it's not what I want, Lord. It's what you want. And that is a, a proper, a proper, listen to me, a proper response to him. And when you have that response, whatever God decides to do, ultimately you become okay with it. Maybe, that doesn't mean there isn't some disappointments because God didn't answer it the way you wanted him to answer it. But you come to a place where you say, Lord, it's you. It's what you're doing. And I expect you. And I'm honoring you. And I believe you. So that's the second group. But there's a third group. And we still see them to this day. Some outright rejected Jesus. Some outright rejected Jesus. See, this is the group I don't understand. I'll just be honest with you. This is the group that I, I kind of like, man, what is going on here? Because, for instance, if you look at the other Gospels up to this point when the triumphant entry happens, just right before this, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And then when you get to this portion in that same scripture, I think it's John, when he talks about right before the triumphant entry, they know that Jesus is coming, and so they plot against to kill Jesus. But the text also says they want to get rid of Lazarus. So these are the same people. These are the same people who are telling him, hey, tell your disciples to be quiet. They're just flat out rejecting him. And I'm like, how can you miss this? How, how, it just seems like an everyday occurrence in Kerwinsville, isn't it? That we're walking along, we're seeing people, feeding people, feeding the whole town with a couple of loaves and some fishes. We're, we're seeing, seeing healings taking place. You don't need to go to the doctor. You just go see who Jesus in town, right? And, and he'll take care of you. We see this kind of stuff every day in Kerwinsville, right? No, we don't. This is abnormal. This is unusual. God is in this. And, he's, and most people are recognized it, but this group of people can't see it. 
Or should I say, they refuse to see it. They don't want to see it. And so they just outright reject. And so we see these three responses, okay? Three responses. We see those who come and accept him, but they have their preconceived notions. We see those who are accepting him and, and are honoring him out of genuine faith. And then we see this third group that are just rejecting him. And so I wonder, I've thought about this, how does, how does God respond to that? How does, how does he respond knowing he's got three different groups of people? People with their preconceived notions, people who just out of genuine in their faith, and then what about with these folks who are just flat out rejecting? What, 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 is, what is God's response to this? Well, to be honest with you, he tells us. So here they are, whatever the scene was there, right after he tells them, if they don't cry out, the stones would cry out. Look at the very next verse. Look at verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. His heart was broken. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes I think we need to change our concept of God and about Jesus. Sometimes we have this concept that he's just ready to drop the hammer on all humanity and just judge and, and it's like he's going to take his vengeance and everything. And, and we forget that God is bothered by us and by people. And here he's bothered by a city, Jerusalem, a city of his his choosing, a city of his chosen people who are rejecting him, a city who doesn't understand what's happening and what's going on. And so here's the first thing I want you to see about his heart, okay? Jesus' heart is broken for people. It's broken for people. You know, I often hear from people, you know, the God of the New Testament is different than the God of the Old Testament. Man, the God of the New Testament, man, you could see the heart there, you know, because when you see Jesus, you see God and you see the heart there. But the God of the Old Testament, boy, the God of the Old Testament is like a heavy hand and he's judgmental and he's ready to just destroy. Yeah, but isn't it interesting that God of the Old Testament is revealed in the Old Testament as taking no delight in the destruction of the wicked? God doesn't take any delight in people being judged, in the wicked or unbelievers being judged. He, he doesn't take any delight. What does that tell me about God's heart? God has a heart for his creation. Understand that. He doesn't take any delight. So when he sees the people who are rejecting him, his heart is broken. Do you understand? When Jesus is coming into the city, he's seeing a city. For whatever their response is, he's, he's, his heart is broken for them because he knows what's coming because of their rejection. 
Because of their rejection. You say, how do you know that with that one group, George, you said the group with the preconceived ideas. Here's what I, I'm going to tell you. People with preconceived ideas end up getting mad at God because he never comes forth on what they think he should be doing. How do you know that, George? Well, I've been pastoring a long time. And you see people, they come for a moment, they're excited, and then what? Then trials come and everything, and their faith is so shallow that they just... They walk away. I'm done with this. I don't want to have anything to do. God didn't show up for me. They had a preconceived idea. But God has a heart for us. And with that, he's going to point out two more things here, okay? He's going to tell this city, look at what he says there. Look with me, verse 42. If you had known, even you, Especially in this day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Here's the thing he's telling him. He's saying, he states that the opportunity to understand has passed. He's, he's pronouncing a judgment. There's a point where with, with somebody who rejects, there's a line there. I don't know where that line is, but there's some point where God says, that's it. It's, I'm done. The point is gone for you. The opportunity has passed. Now, I don't know what that is. You don't know what that is, so we continue to be the witnesses that we are. But at some point, there's a point where God says, we know that from Romans, he gives them over. Right? You reject him long enough, he gives you over. So he says to the city as he's going in, and it's breaking his heart as he's saying this. If you had only known what was happening here, guys, you were oblivious to the reality of who I really am. If you had truly grasped who was entering into your gates. But it's too bad. The time is passing. So here's what he says. He points out the consequences of their ignorance. He points out the consequences of their ignorance as judgment. This is what he's pointing out here. He's like, okay, here, here, here you know, the, the time of understanding has passed, and, and the reality is judgment is coming. Here he's speaking specifically of the city, what's going to happen? Well, he's going to point out to them. This would be, some, some scholars believe this is A.D. 30. Some believe it's A.D. 33. Well, if you fast forward about 35 years or so to A.D. 70, the Romans would come, and look at what it says. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, level you and your children with you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. He's saying judgment's coming. For them, specifically, the destruction of Jerusalem and the killing or the carrying away of all their inhabitants for us, for humanity today, the reality is, is there's a judgment coming. For those who have accepted him with genuine faith, there is no judgment. 
But for everyone else, because they were oblivious to what God is doing, because what God was saying to them, there's a judgment coming. Death, the second death, hell. And you say, okay, George, wow, what, a, what, a, what an interesting passage there. Palm Sunday. It's supposed to be a time of celebration. It is. It is a time of celebration. It's a time of celebration for you and I who are believers. Why? Because we recognize that with that coming, and even with their rejection, it's set in motion what? His going to the cross, his dying for you, so that you could have what? Eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, a renewed relationship with him. But it also tells us the reality of what's going around us even to this day. Because we dwell in the midst of people really in three different groups, don't we? There's a small group of people who genuinely believe him and have genuine faith. There's another group that give lip service to him, but they have preconceived ideas about him. And if he doesn't follow through on their preconceived ideas, they're out of here. But there's an even larger group that what? Just rejects. Can't see it. They're totally oblivious. They're missing it. And the consequence, and this is what breaks his heart, listen to me, it breaks his heart, is that they're going to face the judgment that's coming. This is what it's about. And for you and I who genuinely believe, it's a blessing. Because he did this for you and I. He suffered the rejection. He suffered the brutality. He suffered death so that you and I could have forgiveness. Isn't God awesome when it comes to his children? Let me pray for you.